So we've been talking about the foundations. Exodus chapter 20 is where we're going to be at this morning. We've been talking about the foundations that God gives us on how He is that we order and conduct our lives. And so we've been talking about these foundations. Historically, they've been referred to as the Ten Commandments. And so you can call them the Ten Commandments if you want to. I'm just calling them foundations because more than just commandments that can be traditional or can be archaic or be something that we just assume that we've heard before, these are still foundations that are still to be relevant and applicable to the church today on how it is that we live our lives not just personally at our homes, but corporately in the life in which God has given us to live. And even as a church, in light of this community and in the circumstances and situations we're living in, how it is that we live our lives. And so we've been looking at these foundations that God gives us. We are in the eighth commandment, the eighth foundation this morning. And simply it reads, thou shalt not steal. Or maybe in the translation I'm looking at, it says, you shall not steal. Still. Now, if you got a bulletin when you came in, not only is there a lot of good information inside the bulletin, but there's also on the back some notes. And there should be some notes maybe behind me on the screen if you want to follow along and take notes as we walk through God's Word this morning. But this morning as we are in here, in this eighth foundation, and just simply, you shall not steal, the danger is sometimes we can come to this passage and say, well, you know what, Spence? It's been 30 years since I stole bubblegum out of Judd's. And so therefore, I am exempt or Spence, you're not talking to me, or I'm not guilty of stealing, and so I can just listen, I can check out, or I can be thinking, well, I hope so-and-so listens to this, or do you not have something more relevant to my life today than some simple Sunday school lesson? And oh, if that is your thought, I am so glad you're here this morning. Because I am convinced that more than murder, more than lying, more than coveting, more than even some of the idolatry that we are so guilty of, I am convinced that more of us suffer from breaking this commandment of stealing than we realize. So we're going to start off with one overarching premise you see there at the top of your notes and just one main point that I want to drive to that I want to come back to over and over and over again. Because stealing, if you define stealing, simply defined, it's taking something that doesn't belong to you. Or maybe another way you could say it is using something without permission. So one of my favorite potato chips is the Salsarita, Salsacita potato chips, okay? So it's a particular brand, like a tortilla chips, but it has some salsa seasoning on it. I love these potato chips. I can live off these potato chips. I mean, Sayer can live off of Top Ramen. I can live off these Salsarita potato chips. And so last night we had a movie night and everybody was gathered here. We watched a really cool movie, Jeremy Camp, and, and part of the snacks that were out is someone brought those Salsarita potato chips. So you know what Fat Boy did? Fat Boy went over there and got him a big old full bowl of potato chips. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, these are amazing. I come into church this morning and nobody is here. I'm the only person in the building. Nobody is here. And as I walk in that fellowship hall, and they're still right, I can see them. I can see them. Do you, do you know what's sitting over there? Those potato chips. And I looked at them and they're folded over and I'm like, somebody left these. I sure would like one. But here's the reality of the situation. They don't belong to me. 
Now, you may say, well, Spence, it's not that big of a deal. Oh, Spence, who cares? The person that probably left him probably thought, hey, the preacher may like, so I'm going to leave him from the preacher. I, I don't know the situation, but I can tell you they don't belong to me. And so it would be, especially on the day that we're going to talk about stealing, what kind of impact or what kind of example would it be if I was in there munching down when Mark came in and I'm sitting there with my face full of chips? You see, sometimes we don't think of stealing in the trivial sense. We only think of stealing in the larger sense. But what I want to drive to this morning is a reality that we see throughout Scripture. And that is this principle and this truth. Nothing belongs to you. Nothing belongs to you. I realize that you may have possessions. I realize that you may have debt. I realize you may have things that you're responsible for. I realize you have things that if I come up and take from you, you will look at me and say, well, that's mine. But my premise this morning is to remind us that everything belongs to God. And thus, what God gives us, He gives us for the purpose and the use to serve Him, to love Him, and to advance His kingdom. So everything that you have is a gift from God. The breath that you have that we sang about a moment ago, the seat that you are sitting in, the clothes that you are wearing, the way, the transportation that you were in when you got here to church. Everything was given by God and everything ultimately is God. And so we need to ask ourselves the question this morning, what do I have from God that he is wanting me to give back to him in the way of time and talents and resources that I'm not? Because if we are to carry the definition of what it means to steal... For God to give you a talent, a resource, an ability, financial or otherwise, and for you not to use it for the intended purpose that God gave it to you, that would by the definition be stealing. Well, the 8th commandment right here in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 15 says, You shall not steal. Still. So sometimes we may come to this passage and say, well, I know that I'm not supposed to do it, but really, I can't help it. I know that I'm not supposed to do it, but you know, everybody does it. Or we may have different motivations for why we steal. Here in your notes this morning, I just want to quickly walk through three common motivations that we usually have for stealing. One of these may hit you, two of these may hit you, three of these may hit you, but if any of them hit you, I just want to ask for you to consider this morning, okay, if I have been stealing, I don't have to continue stealing anymore. But I want you to think about these three motivations. And I think these three motivations are applicable to us this morning as a church. And the first motivation for our stealing might be something like this. I don't have enough. You may want to fill in the blank with I don't have enough of something. But many times, many times, when you see people steal, whether it's in a criminal sense or whether it's the innocent sense, it's because I don't have Enough. And so they are constantly stealing, trying to make up for their lack. Sometimes it's genuine. Sometimes it's legitimate. Sometimes you're hungry. Sometimes you're thirsty. Sometimes there's someone that's caring you for, caring, that you're caring for, that you're trying to uh, look out for. In fact, it even tells us in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, that if somebody comes in and steals to care for the needs or for the concerns of someone, then hey, when they're found out, they need to restore that. And they tell them how they go back and restore it. But sometimes when we steal, we are saying to our ourselves, I don't have 
enough. But there's a great difference between enough. Because sometimes we think about it in the sense of our needs or our wants. In fact, there in your passage, there in your notes, it says the reference to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 19. And this is what it says. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He's reminding us that when we have our hope and our faith and our trust in God, God will supply our needs. He doesn't always supply our wants, but he will supply our needs. And you may say, well, I don't know about that preacher. I don't know if I can trust in God. Test him. Try him. Come back and tell me when he hasn't provided your needs. Oh, I know that you may say, well, yeah, but I've got this bill. I've got this, this, this obligation. I've got this responsibility. How am I supposed to take care of it? I'm going to tell you, when it says God will supply our needs, God will supply our needs. It may not be our wants, but he will supply our needs. You may say, well, preacher, I don't know if I can buy into that. I don't know if I can believe that. Well, if you can't believe that, then what do you believe? Because if you can't believe God's word, then what is it that you believe about you? What is it you believe about salvation? What is it that you believe? See, when the Bible tells us that God can supply and take care of our needs, then that is truth. That is scripture. That is the gospel. And so many times in our humanity and in our carnality, we are tempted to think, I don't have enough, and I've got to provide this for myself. Or sometimes we're tempted to think, well, I deserve this, or I'm entitled to that. And when, in, the, in the day in which we're living in, everybody has this mentality that I deserve this, I, I, I'm entitled to this, this is a right of mine. I hear the, this conversation being taken on, and I'm not trying to start a fire here this morning, but you hear the conversation going on about health care. There's one group over here saying that health care should be a basic right for every individual. And this group over here is saying, well, yeah, if you can afford to pay for it, that is great. And there's this idea that there should be some things that should be basic right. 30 years ago, air conditioning was not a basic right. I remember those days. (laughs) Cell phones were not a basic right. Healthcare was not a basic right. Not eating bologna and cheese at least once every day was not a basic right. I mean, there was once upon a time that we had a certain standard that everybody just said, well, that's just the way it is. If you can do better, do better. But now we're living in such a day that everybody thinks, I'm entitled. I have a right. And I want you to remember, entitlement and rights come from God. Every single person in this room, listening via the internet, listening over the audio waves, wherever you might be taking in this service, every single one of us, based upon our sinfulness and based upon our flesh, deserve hell. Every single one of us. You may say, well, I'm entitled to this, or I have a right for this, or this is my right as an American, or this is my right as a U.S. citizen, or living here here in Oklahoma, this is what I deserve. And I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, none of us deserve what we have. None of us deserve what we have. Every single one of us deserve help. But, but the good news is 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, But for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul is reminding us that you know what? You didn't deserve it, but he loved you so much that he gave it to you. And you may sit there and go, well, Spence, I just don't have enough. Spence, it's not enough. Spence, I'm never happy with what I have. And I want to remind you this morning that God has a purpose and a plan for everything he has given you. Everything that he has given us, he has a plan for. I realize that you can look around you and you can see what other people have that you don't have. 
I realize that you can look around and say, well, I sure would like this, or I sure would like that. I know you can look around and you can always find someone that has something that you want or somebody that you feel is more off or better off than you. But I want to remind you this morning that it's not a matter of comparing noses or trying to look around and saying, well, they have this and I want that or what they have. It's a matter of saying, what has God given me and what am I going to do with what God has given me? 1 Corinthians 10.31 says it this way, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. He reminds us that it's not a matter of having enough. It's not a matter of having everything that we want. It's a matter of us using what God has given us for His glory, for our good, and for the advancement of the kingdom of God. But there will be sometimes the motivation will come, well, I don't have enough. So therefore, I am warranted in stealing. And I'm not talking about going up to bears, and I'm not talking about stealing a, a piece of beef jerky. I am talking about stealing the time, stealing the resources, stealing the effort, stealing the talent, stealing the abilities, taking the things that God has given you and you saying, I, I need it. There's a second motivation that often plagues us in our lives today, and that is that I'm not content with what I have. I don't have enough. I'm not content with what I have. So when the Bible comes in and says, you shall not steal, you may say, well, preacher, why in the world did anybody steal? The reason why people steal is the same reason why people steal uh, historically is because... They're not content with what they have. What they have is not enough. They have looked over the fence row, if you will, and they've seen the greener grass, and they just assume that the greener grass is what they want. But I want to remind you that sometimes the grass is the greenest over the septic tank. Just because it's the green grass doesn't mean it's the valuable grass. And you've got to understand that sometimes it's not the best thing to do is to always be looking over the fence. Why not be concerned with where you are? But the problem is, is so many times we are not content with what we have. Listen to how Paul says it in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Listen to this, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Notice he didn't say the possession of money. He did not say having money. He said the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with pangs. He's reminding us that this idea of greed is not from God. You and I can be content with a nickel, a penny, or a full flight brand new Benjamin in our pocket. We ought to be able to be content wherever with that and with whatever we have as long as we have God in our life. It's not a matter of saying, well, I need a brand new vehicle, or I need this, or I need that. It's a matter of saying, am I content with what I have? Listen to what he says in Philippians. <clears throat> Just before he wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy, he's talking there in Philippians. And in Philippians 4 and verse 11, he says something like this. For I have learned, this is Paul writing, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. The principle that Paul is giving us is that when it comes to our contentment with where we're at in life, our contentment or lack of contentment is usually not a matter of quantity. It's not a matter of quantity. Well, I have one motorcycle, but boy, if I had two motorcycles, I sure would be a lot happier. Well, if you're not happy with one, then why would you be happy with two? 
I got in the truck with a pumper last Thursday and we we're going to go eat lunch. And of course they say, well, you want to go eat lunch with us, Spence? And what that means is you want to go buy us lunch, Spence. And so it's one of those things that I, I climb in the truck and we're going and he says, hey, look at this. And he showed me a picture of a Harley. And I was like, well, that's a really nice Harley, Gary. I said, I didn't know you had a Harley. He said, well, that's the third one. I said, well, how many, ones, how many can you ride at the same time? Well, this is my heritage. This is my cruiser. I've got a soft tail for just driving around town. And then I've got one of those Supreme Glides or what, what are the fancy ones. I don't know what it is, Charles. One of the really nice fancy ones with the cruise control, you know, and all that. He said, I use that when me and the wife are going someplace. I said, so what, you got a Monday bike, a Tuesday bike, and a Wednesday bike? He said, well, do you have a bike? And I said, I don't have a bike. He said, why don't you have a bike? I said, because it's hard to haul groceries and a wife and four kids on a bike. And so just one of those things that right now where I'm at, the bike isn't in the framework of the budget because it's just not there. It's not a matter of getting more. It's a matter of being content with what God has given you. So when God comes into these people here in Exodus chapter 20, He looks at them and says, you shall not steal. He knows that not every, every one of them have the same amount. He knows that there are differences in incomes. He knows there are differences in possessions. He knows there are the haves and there are the have-nots. He knows that there will be people with much and less. He knows there will be differences in the people. But He also knows that every person be, can be content when their eyes are in a position of gratitude and their perspective is a thing of thankfulness before God. So it doesn't matter if all you've got in your cupboard is top ramen. You can be thankful that you have food. It doesn't matter if you look in your cupboard and all you have is bullion cubes. You can be grateful that you have a cupboard. It doesn't matter no matter what you're facing or what you're going through. You can be content with what God has given you. And when we think about what it means to steal, what it means to steal is to look at God and say, God, I don't have enough. And God, what you have given me, I'm not content with. And how many times have we been there? And we're looking at God and saying, God, I know that you've given me more than I deserve. But God, it's not enough and I'm not happy with what you've given me. And sometimes we get in those moments, we get in those seasons of life, and the next thing you know, you and I start to pull back and start to think, well, if God won't take care of me, I'll take care of me. Well, if I'm not happy with what God has given me, then I'm going to go find something that will make me happy. Because really, I deserve to be happy. Really, I deserve to have be satisfied. I deserve to have my needs met. And next thing you know, we start justified doing all kinds of crazy dumb things. Because we've forgotten that everything that we have has come from God and that we own nothing. Then there's a third motivation. Third motivation that I think is kind of the pin that holds it all together. Back in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 15, God looks at His people and says, You shall not steal. Sometimes motivation for stealing or theft comes from not having enough or feeling like you don't have enough. Sometimes the motivation to theft or stealing comes from this attitude of not being content with what you have. But this third motivation, I think, is the most dangerous of all. And it is, oftentimes, I don't fear God. I don't fear God. What do you mean? Preacher, you don't fear God. Well, if you're to look in the preceding verses and the preceding chapter here in the Ten Commandments and where the, 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 the passage is nestled in, you're going to see that the people of Israel, they came to the base of Mount Sinai and as they were gathered there, Moses was up on the mountain. <coughs> Excuse me. 
Moses was up on the mountain, God came down to meet Moses on the top of the mountain. And it said when he came down, there was a thick cloud. There were bolts of lightning. There was the sound of the trumpet. There was thunder going off. The whole mountain was shaking to the point that the people were at the base of the mountain and they were trembling. And when Moses came back down, they said, Moses, you talk to us, but don't let God talk to us because we're scared what God may do to us if he tries to talk to us. And Moses said to the people, that you stay a fair bit distance away. I will go up and I will commune to God, but you all stay there. Pretty much said, be good. (laughs) Because the people had such a fear for God and they didn't even see God. They just saw the effect of God and the glory of God in that particular form and yet the people were fearful of God. And yet we in our day and age today, we don't have one ounce of fear for God. Not one. You may fear spiders more than you fear God. You may fear snakes more than you fear God. You may fear that (laughs) that pickup that pulls in your driveway that says county assessor on the side of it. You may fear that more than you do God. You may fear this COVID that's going around more than God. You may feel failure more than you fear God. You may fear being alone more than God. You may fear the next doctor's appointment more than you fear God. You may fear your bank statement more than you fear God. Oh friend, there are a million things in this world that we fear more than we fear God. And yet in so many ways and in so many times you and I can be so cavalier in our sin and the reason we can do that is because we do not fear God. And so right here when God is looking at his people in Exodus chapter 20 and he says you shall not steal. The main prohibition, the main reason why those individuals listening and reading this would say well that's it, that's it that's all I'm, I'm not going to steal. The main reason would be because their fear of God. Not their fear of getting caught. Not their fear of public opinion. Not their fear of what may happen in a social uh, retribution. It's because they feared God. Because they had that kind of fear for God. But yet, we are living in a day and age that people believe or people think God can't do it. Or God cannot do it. It's a typo there in your notes. But I don't believe God can do it. We mean God can do it. You mean God can create you? God can hold you accountable? You, you, you don't believe that God can create whatever it is that you need. You don't think that God can provide for whatever you need. Your fear of God has gone away. And the next thing you know is God is impotent and God can't handle it. And so therefore, I've got to step in and do it myself. And we think that we can play God and God's not going to care. Oh, God's going to care. I was at a softball game just recently and the umpire was sitting there and the poor guy, I mean, he just can't win. <laughs> and, I, and I feel for those softball umpires, truly, but they, they can't win. They're stuck behind home plate. They can't run to the outfield. I mean, they're stuck there and all the heckling. And when they got heckling from this side and they got heckling from this side, and it doesn't matter whether he calls it a ball or a strike, somebody's going to be upset at him. Somebody's going to be complaining at him. And it's all the time. I'm like, poor guy. I, mean, I don't know who chooses the profession and they don't make anything but peanuts. I mean, it's just kind of like, why in the world would you ever want to do that? But he got to the point the other day that he finally looked around and turned to look at a, an adult, one of the parents, and he said, that's enough. That's enough. And there's going to come a day that God is going to look at this world and going to say, that's enough. And he's going to look at his son, Jesus Christ, and he's going to say, go get the church. First Thessalonians chapter 4 tells us that Christ will appear in the heavens 
And the rapture will take place. And those that are in the church, those are saved. Those that are redeemed. Those that have repented and confessed of their sins. Those who know that their salvation is secured. Not because of their works. Not because of their merit. Not because of their money. Or because of their possessions. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ covering their sins. They know they've reached that point. That they knew they were a sinner. That they knew that sin would lead them to hell. And they knew that they needed a salvation and a savior. And that moment would come that those people that have trusted in Jesus Christ. When the Christ appears in the air and the sound of the trumpet it will rise we'll meet the Lord in the air God's going to do that and if he can do that he can provide for our needs some people say well he can't do it or I don't believe that God can do it or sometimes we think well I don't believe that God knows Oh, I don't believe that God knows the problems I'm dealing with. I don't believe that God knows exactly the struggles that I'm, I'm, I'm underneath. God doesn't know everything that's on my mind. God doesn't know my doctor's report. God doesn't know my bills. God doesn't know my finances. God doesn't know my desires. God doesn't know what this person did to me. God doesn't know everything that I'm dealing with. And I want to remind you this morning, God created you and God loves you. And God knows exactly what you're going through. And sometimes, sometimes the things that you might seem, think, are the darkest and the worst are really meant for your growing and your building up. Peyton Davis right now is in Fort Benning, Georgia. And he's going through his initial training with the military. And those of you that have ever gone to the basic training in the military, you can relate. 1999, I shipped off and I landed in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri and they get you to reception and they give you all the clothes and they give you all the shots. Man, they're just being nice. I mean, way nice. And I'm like, this is cake. This would be easy. And so they get you with all your possession. They put you on this trailer and they get you in there kind of tight because they say we're kind of limited on, on vehicles to haul you. And they put you in this trailer and the doors shut on this trailer and you're excited because you're leaving to go to your basic training barracks. And this is where you're going to stay at for the next seven, eight weeks, something like that. And you're hauling, and they say, everybody just look at your bag, look at your bag, and they don't want you looking around, but they're still being really nice about you. You're like, well, you know, these guys have been so nice. I mean, why not just go ahead and do what they tell me to do? And then all of a sudden, they stop. You're like, oh, we're here. Oh, yeah, great. And all of a sudden, doors open, and your world changes. <clears throat> these people that have been smiling at you and really nice to you are now yelling at you. And you can run, <laughs> and you won't run fast enough. You can say yes, drill sergeant, and you won't say it loud enough. It doesn't matter what you do, somebody, and I don't know, it's like they multiply, like the the loaves and fishes kind of thing. I mean, they're just everywhere. It's like they're swarming around like a big old thing of beehives. I mean, they're just everywhere, just screaming and hollering at you, and you start to think, my recruiter lied to me. (laughs) I shouldn't be here. (laughs) My mama would not approve. But you know, eight weeks later, when you're graduating, you realize that what they did was actually for your good. Sometimes God does that in our spiritual lives. He puts us through things that in the moment we don't understand, in the moment we wonder, God, what in the world are you doing? And God is simply doing it because God knows next year. God knows next month. God knows your next doctor's appointment. God knows your next Christmas. God knows. And God says, I'm enough. Just trust me. Just believe in me. Just believe that I can do what I say I'm going to do. 
But we often get to that point and we say, well, that's just not enough. And because I don't fear God, I decide I'm going to do what I want to do. And then I take my resources, I take my time, I take my talents, I take my finances, I take all of those things and I decide what I'm going to do from. And I, in a sense, steal from God. Because I don't believe God can do it. Because I don't believe God knows. Because I don't believe that God sees in this final one. I don't believe that God will ask. I don't believe that I will stand before God one day and God will say, what have you done with the talents and the resources and the time that I've given you? What have you done with the opportunities that I put before you? What have I done with the families and the friends and the co-workers and the, the opportunities and the, the education? What have you done with the things that I've given you? We don't believe that God will ask us and I assure you, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that we will all stand before the judgment seat of God and give an account for what we have done in this body. Whether good or evil, we will all stand before God one day and God will say, what have you done? Not just what have you done with the money. What have you done with your talents? What have you done with your time? What have you done with your hope and your prayers? What have you done with your knowledge? See, so many times we get to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 15 and we read these words, you shall not steal. And we just assume this talks about a stick of gum. We just assume this talks about cheating on our taxes. We just assume this has something to do for someone else somewhere else and not me here today. And I want to remind us church that any time we take what isn't ours and use it for a purpose that isn't from God, we are stealing from God. So let's get a little personal this morning. Look there at the bottom of your notes. We talk about examining the foundation. Really, these are just three questions designed and aimed to be a point of application this morning, if you will. <clears throat> the first question is like this. <clears throat> Am I stealing from others? Am I stealing from others? What do you mean by that, Spence? Am I stealing from others? Am I going around and snacking wallets out of purses? Am I going around and taking somebody something from someone else, stealing credit card numbers? No. But are you stealing the opportunity for them to hear about Jesus? God has put you in their life and they don't know about Jesus. You know about Jesus and God has put you there so you too can talk about Jesus. And you look at it and say, well, I'm going to talk about football. And you're stealing that opportunity for them to repent. You're stealing the of that opportunity for them to turn. You're stealing that opportunity for them to place their faith in Jesus Christ. You're stealing that from them. Or you come into church. Oh, this is a classic. You come into church and everybody's like, how you doing? I'm not, I'm not very good at all. What's the matter? Well, you know, I didn't sleep well last night. Okay? Oh, you know, and I just, you know, I ain't just been getting around good lately. Okay? Hey, what else? Well, you know, I'm just looking for a reason to complain. <laughs> No one says that, but that's what they should say. I mean, it's one of those things that somebody comes in, it's like a vacuum cleaner. There's this joy, there's this excitement, there's this hope, and there's this happiness, and somebody's going to come in and it's the wet vac. You got, you, you're laughing because you know those people. You have names and faces in your head right now. Some people are the wet vacs, and they just come in, and all they're looking to do is suck out the joy in the room. Don't steal happiness from other people. Don't steal joy from other people. Don't steal a smile from other people. I'm out of time. Am I stealing from the church? Am I stealing from the church? Some people don't come to church because they think all we do is talk about in the church is money. And I want to tell you right now, we don't need your money. God has plenty of it. I'm not asking for your money this morning. I'm not asking for your checkbook this morning. I'm not asking for your credit card this morning. I'm not asking for you to put a single dime where God doesn't want you to put a single dime. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He'll, he can take care of this church. 
What I want to know is, is are you stealing your time and your talents and your resources from the church? And the means of, this church is meant to be, and I can pack this up scripturally, and I don't have enough time right now, but I'll be happy to sit down with you. I believe the scripture teaches us that the, the church should really be the center of gravity when it comes to the world. That's what we see in the Old Testament. Now we see the New Testament, was, in a sense, was a center of gravity. And, and we were sitting here this morning and we were thinking, well, why do we have such moral decay in our school systems? Why do we have such darkness? Why do we have the rioting and the looting? Why do we have all this craziness going on? And to some degree, it's because the church has been muted. And we go, where's the church at? Why isn't the church doing anything? Because the church is just struggling to steep the doors open. so many people are funding the retirement more than they're funding the church they're supporting a noble, noteworthy, charitable cause instead of the spiritual mission of the church because people are coming to the church and saying preacher he only works one day a week he doesn't need anything and you know what I really don't think those chairs are necessary well, I kind of like the pews, those pews were a whole lot cheaper well, you know, if they turn the thermostat a little bit warmer, they could save some money in the air conditioning. Well, you know, all they do is go and they just buy, they just use this tithes and offerings and they go buy goldfish for the kids. Why can't those kids eat at home? We start having all these thoughts and then next thing you know, we start taking away the things that God has intended for the church to be able to use for the ministry and the advancement of the kingdom of God and the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we, instead of giving to the church, the church can use that. We take it and we put it in our pockets. And we steal from the church. But then this last one will be done. Am I stealing from God? See, the ultimate concern is not, are you stealing from others? The ultimate concern is not, am I stealing from the church? My ultimate concern for you this morning is, are you stealing from God? God has created you. God has designed you. God has purposed you. God desires for you to live in faithfulness and obedience to Him. But sometimes we steal that faithfulness from God. Because I'm more faithful to my sports team than I'm faithful to God. I'm more devoted and I'm more obedient to my job than I am to God and I am continually stealing the things that God has given me for his glory and for the advancement of his name I am taking those things and I am using them for a purpose that he did not attend them and I'm using them for a reason that he did not create them I'm using them for something that he has told me not to do with them and I am stealing from God and the reality is is that when that day comes and you stand to give an account you will not give an account to me you will not give an account to a coach you will not give an account to a foreman or for a boss you will give an account to God And what will we say when we stand before God? God, I didn't have enough. God, I wasn't happy with what you gave me. Or we have to admit, God, I just didn't fear you the way I should. I realize that the world around us is always trying to pump us with this idea that we'll always have tomorrow. Or one of those things, well, I'm just going to have to take it under consideration. I just don't know if I can buy into that. I'm just going to tell you this morning. Why continue to live in outright, stubborn disobedience to God? Why not this morning just say, God, I'm done. Whatever it is that you want, God, here I am.
Whatever it is to God that you're calling me to here, hey, God, I don't want to steal from you anymore. I don't know where you're at this morning. This isn't even necessarily a point about salvation. You could be here and you could be lost. And the first step of giving back to God is just saying, God, I need to be saved. I've been stealing this time that you've been giving me. According to First, Second Peter, he talks about how God continues to give us time as a, as a means of patience, letting us have an opportunity to turn to him. And we may just say, God, I've, I've, I'm done stealing these days that you have graciously been giving me for me to have a chance to repent. And today, God, I turn my life to you. Or maybe you're here this morning and you may say, well, Spence, you know what? I know that I'm saved. But the reality is, is that I'm not living in faithful obedience to God because I've got all these other things that I'm doing. And that when God calls, I'm too busy for God. I have no margin for God. And and the way the text is showing us this morning is that I've just, I've been stealing from God. And I repent, turn that back to him this morning. Maybe there's something else that God has put in your heart. Different decision you need to make. Will you walk out of these doors this morning resolved and resolute in your own ability? Or will you walk out of these doors this morning knowing that you're living exactly the life that God has called you to live? Bow your heads with me.